Hi everybody, Eric from Hit Subscribe here, and I'm recording this on uh, December 23rd, so uh, happy holidays to you. Um, and I don't think I'll be around next week, so also like a happy new year. I guess that's one of the holidays, but um, yeah, specifically happy all of the holidays. Uh, today's question is, um, is it a problem to have just one large, okay, so uh, I've heard people say that you shouldn't have just one or two large clients. Is that true? What's the problem with that? Um, so I guess the short version, diving right into it, is I would say, yes, this is a problem. I would not have just one or even two large clients um, if you are looking to build and grow a business. Um, so let me kind of dive into first why I say that or why you've probably heard that advice before and my take on why I don't think that's a good thing. Um, and then maybe I'll get into um, time permitting more philosophically, like what a book of business ought to look like and how you can kind of diversify your client portfolio. And, and maybe since this is kind of beginner skewed, like what those terms mean. So we'll get, you know, into this at all of the levels. First up, the easy part to understand why as a freelancer, would you not want to have like just one large client? Um, there's a term for this, it's called a whale client. So um, when you think about a whale client, the, the nomenclature there, the reason it's called a whale client is because it's so massive that um, they absolutely overpower you and can push you around and you're just kind of at their disposal. Um, what's the problem with that specifically? Well, let me start with uh, the riskiness of this. So basically, um, if you think about a freelancer with one single large client, you know, picture in your head what that looks like. Uh, you're probably working 40 hours a week for that client. You're probably going into their office or I guess since this is 2021 near the end of it, maybe you're not going into their office, but you are working over Zoom or whatever for 40 hours a week for them, most likely or close to it. You probably have somebody at the client that is sort of similar to a boss, uh, somebody who is, you know, signing your checks or telling you what to do. Uh, you probably have to clear it with them when you're going to take time off. In short, you're probably what's known as a staff augmentation, which means you're a contractor that's working for them, freelancer, if you will, but you look an awful lot like an employee. Now, I'll link to this on YouTube. I did a video not too long ago about like, why would companies hire contractors versus employees? Uh, and kind of what does that mean from the employee perspective? Well, as a contractor, you have a more loose relationship with your employer slash client um, versus an employee that's a stickier relationship. Employees have certain rights, they get benefits, it's harder to let employees go. Um, whereas with a contractor, you can just tell them one day, like, that's it, you know, go away, we're done. Uh, unless you have a certain kind of contract. But even then, if you're an individual freelancer with one single large uh, client, um, your contract doesn't mean much. They'll just do whatever they want to you and you won't have the legal resources to try to do anything about it. You're really, truly at their mercy. So um, coming back to why this is a problem for the freelancers, you're more or less an employee, except you don't have health insurance. Um, you're an employee with a lot of the downsides and probably the only upside that you have is that you're, at least you should be, charging a higher hourly rate than the employees at their company. So you're getting more pay, but you're also probably spending that pay on your health insurance. You're not getting paid time off, et cetera. So it most likely in the end is kind of a wash, uh, except that you have a less sticky relationship with that client. So um, 
I guess from from that perspective, if you are intending to have a, a freelance practice like this indefinitely, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be dismissive when I keep throwing everything into quotes when I'm talking about client and practice, but like the reason I'm doing that is because you're an employee, basically. You don't have a client, you have a boss, you have an employer, you don't have a practice, you know, you're just simulating employment, but in a way I would argue is a worse deal for you. If you're going to have this arrangement, I would honestly suggest just be an employee. You're going to get better benefits. Um, the only exception to this is if you've just newly gone off on your own as a freelancer. Um, in this case, it's common. You might like boomerang your uh, former employer to be your first client. Um, if you view it as an interim state, that's okay, but you want to be moving away from it. So it's risky. Uh, as, a, as a kind of philosophical caveat, I would also suggest that employment as a construct is pretty risky. Uh, even though you're a salaried employee and it's a little harder for a business to part ways with you, it's not that hard. And you're just kind of like bopping along, living your life, and then one day your source of income is just completely cut off from you. Now, if you're imminently employable, you know, software engineers, the background that I come from, don't have a hard time landing other jobs. Right now, it, this economy is a pretty employee-friendly economy, so you could probably go get another job. But all of that is sort of seasonal and situational. Um, it's not necessarily true but what uh, that you could easily get another job in all cases. But what is true is your entire source of income can just be cut off from you at a moment's notice. That's a risky situation. I would actually argue that having a business with a um, portfolio of clients is less risky than being an employee because if one of those clients breaks up with you and you have 20 of them, that's just one or 5% of your income. So no big deal. Uh, anyway, I'll come back to that a little. We're getting into the idea of a book of business. Um, but it's, it's worth, you know, noting that employment is kind of a risky relationship. I think it just doesn't feel risky because it's the incumbent model and because there's this sort of pretext that employers and employees engage in where it's like a marriage and we're going to be together forever. So there's kind of like a routine that forms and it doesn't feel risky because both of you are kind of trying to make it work like a marriage indefinitely. Uh, but at any rate, um, from a freelancer's perspective, you are like an employee, but with more risk. And I don't think that's a great situation. So um, there's, you know, the, the risk factor. And then there's also the idea that as an, a freelancer with a single client, they're telling you what to do. So you're not... Um, you're not developing a series of um, business practices to make your delivery more efficient. You're not out finding other clients. You're not out finding your sales and marketing or anything about your business. You're just kind of in their business doing their stuff. You're not building your own business. Um, so it isn't just that there's risk involved. It's that you're the entire time you're carrying on a situation like this, you're um, atrophying your own business. You're not really building a business. So. I kind of, this is another reason I say that this is really an interim state. If you're, if you're in this situation, it's not the worst, but you should be actively planning your way out of it. Otherwise, I would say just turn that client into an employer, you know, go in one direction or the other. Don't stay in that intermediate state indefinitely. Um, so with that kind of, you know, obviously strong opinion in the books, let's maybe take a look at what is a book of business? Like, what do you do instead of this? Um, how do you get away from being in such an arrangement? Um, so book of business is just kind of a term you'll hear tossed around and it just basically means um, a list of your clients, if you will. And in the simplest sense, if you took like it subscribes book of business, it would just be a list of all the companies, I think past and present that we do business with, you know, 
sporadically, occasionally, all the time, et cetera. So it is a list of your clients. And um, in terms of the number of clients that you want to have, there is kind of some heuristics that you could stick to. Philosophically for me, um, in building a practice, in building a business, one of the goals that I have is I want to put a cap um, on the amount of revenue that comes from any one client at 20%. I don't want uh, any client accounting for more than 20% of my book of business. The reason for that is once a client starts to take on 30, 40, 50, 80%, we get into that whale client territory, that client is going to exert outsized demands on you. So it's not just the, the simple thing I said about them um, kind of controlling what you do and not really letting you build up your practice. Um, let's examine a scenario where you had you know, a client that accounted for 60% of your revenue and maybe four or five other clients. That is a better situation because 60% of your revenue going away is better than 100%, but it's still uh, dangerous. So let's say that in this situation you have, um, what well, you know, you have five clients, one of them accounts for 60% of your revenue. You're going to give a disproportionate amount of attention to your whale client. It's important that's your livelihood. Um, now, if your whale client wants one series of standard operating procedures, even though for the rest of your clients another makes sense, you're going to be heavily incentivized to do the thing that makes sense for one of your clients and not to do the thing that makes sense for four of your clients. And in the short term, that's always a good idea because that one whale client is most of your money. In the long term, that's a bad idea. You're ignoring the market. If you were to actually get rid of that whale client and focus on those four, you could probably bring in more and more and more clients that were like those. So um, I like to set this cap in a business. Um, and, you know, this isn't any kind of hard, fast rule. It's it's a luxury to be able to say, I don't want a client accounting for more than 20% of my revenue. Usually that means that you have a lot of clients in a very stable business. But that's why it's a goal. It's an aspirational thing. If no client is accounting for any more than 20% of your revenue, you're not going to be beholden to any one of your clients. And that's important. It lets you refine your business practices and your sales and your marketing on the basis of what works well and not what works well for a client. It's what works well for you and the majority of your business. And, and that helps you uh, grow. Um, it also helps you sleep better at night. If you know that um, no one decision maker, no one calamitous event is going to take away more than 20% of your revenue, that's a good thing as well. So. Um, that's the idea of a book of business and how you want to kind of start to think about um, creating enough diversity in your book of business that um, you're not letting anyone dominate you. Uh, and, and I don't mean that in like the um, kind of zero sums. I mean, I just more mean like dominate um, what you're doing, having outsized influence on you, if you will. So um, for your typical staff augmentation freelancer, this is kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around. I remember when I first went off on my own many, many years ago, I thought like, what would it be like to be a freelance software engineer? I did understand that like, well, I must, I, I want to have more clients than if I were just an employee. Otherwise, why wouldn't I just be an employee? So I kind of had this mental model of like, oh, well, being a freelance software engineer means that you, um, you find like four different clients that want 10 hours a week of your time and that's life. And actually, if you think back on my heuristic there about we don't want um, any more than 20% of the business accounted for by one client, in that sort of naive model of the world, I was right. I just would have needed to make it five instead of four, and then I would have had five companies um, 
accounting for 20% of my revenue apiece. And I guess that would have been a good arrangement. It's not. That was a naive uh, way to look at it. But I'm, I'm recounting that because if you're looking at it that way, if that's the first thing that you think of as a service provider, as a laborer, totally understandable because uh, that's how you look at the world. So here's the thing, though. There aren't a lot of companies out there that are like, I want a software engineer or I want a graphic designer and I want that person to behave uh, like a full-timer, except I just want that for like eight hours a week. That's just not what anybody's looking for. So you would really have to find some pretty exceptional circumstances to sell one of those, let alone five of them. And they might do that. Companies might do that if they really liked you, you know, like a former employer might do that. You know the code base or you know the graphic design assets or whatever the case may be. You know them. And so they're happy to have 20% of your time as opposed to none of it. It's possible. It's not likely. And it's vanishingly unlikely that you're going to do that five times. So really, the way that you need to start thinking about how do I um, have a larger book of business is you, you either have to create some kind of deliverable that isn't labor that you can repeatedly deliver. So for instance, if you're um, a software engineer, a deliverable might be that you build people like custom WordPress sites in one to two weeks. Um, so what you're doing there is two things. Number one, um, you're, you're creating a deliverable like I talked about, but number two, you're also creating a fairly like um, uh, narrow piece of time scope. And those are two important tactics for getting a larger and larger book of business. Uh, if we decouple those, um, one would be like, I'm going to build Word, custom WordPress sites, and you might not build them in sequence, for instance. Like, you might be able to kind of be working on two or three of those at a time. And if you could turn them around in a few weeks, you could, you know, stack your um, dance card with a lot of those. So maybe in a given month, you're working on five or six of those, and the typical turnaround time is three to four weeks or whatever it is. So you can kind of, like, develop a sense of your capacity for building these sites and sell you know, what, 60 of them a year or something like that and manage your schedule. So um, doing something that's relatively short in scope and letting the time that you take to deliver it vary a bit depending on how full you are, it's one good way to do it. Uh, another one is if you were, let's say, a trainer, uh, you can't be in more than one place at once doing training um, in more than one place at once. So what you would do is probably schedule your uh, calendar in like week-long training engagements or two-day training engagements, and then you would sell those out over the course of time. So if you were starting to do something like training, uh, it's perfectly reasonable for you to work with a company who needs training and book something three months from now. So you would look out at a calendar and start to try to book all of your weeks. That's another way to have a book of business that's full of customers. So the unifying theme here that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to figure out something to do other than deliver generalist labor. You're going to have to find some kind of deliverable. You're going to have to shorten the time span to like a, um, a smaller amount of time that you can book out ahead of time that isn't you coming in because somebody's hair is on fire and getting started right away. So you're going to have to somehow or another scope work differently than you're used to scoping it. If you come from the employed world, employees are kind of the consummate generalists. You go, you work at a company, and you just kind of do whatever they want you to do. That's generalism. Then you go off on your own as a freelancer, and if you're still doing that, it's not going to fly. You cannot um, build a business on the back of doing something like that. You'll just jump from whale client to whale client, you know, a few times a year or maybe once a year or whatever it is. So you're going to have to find a way to... Um, reduce your work into more bite-sized chunks. 
by reducing the scope and defining the scope of what you're doing um, as a deliverable, by fixing in time uh, what you're doing. Somehow or another, you're going to have to break down the work that you're doing into like more manageable chunks. Um, and that's really the path to getting away from uh, a tiny book of business. Because really what it boils down to is in order to like minimize the kind of risk we're talking about here, you need to have a larger and larger book of business. You need um, customers to account for fewer and fewer and fewer uh, percentage points of your total revenue. And to do that, the only way you can do that is to break down your work into smaller chunks. So that's really the key. Um, I, I would say as a takeaway, if you want to figure out how to do that, think about an offering that you could deliver within a few days. Think about maybe a time boxed offering specifically like a discovery engagement or a workshop or whatever the case may be. Um, and I would, you're not going to go fire your whale client if you have that, but stand up something that you can deliver in little pockets of time among the work that you're doing for your whale client and try to sell a few of those. If you have luck there, um, you could maybe reduce your hours with the whale client and start selling more of whatever that is. That nugget of stuff you're doing is the future of your business. The whale client is not, I promise you. They are never going to change how they're doing business with you because they're regarding you as an employee. So you need to, you know, it's kind of like making a fire, like get a spark and a little bit of an ember there. And then you want to um, nurture that into like starting to try to get a fire going. And eventually it will blow up and push your other stuff to the side. So, you know, carve out something that's a small scope that you can deliver alongside of your whale client work and then constantly tune and iterate on that, figure out how you can scale, uh, refine it, you know, maybe build out a full offering ladder, whatever the case may be, but you're going to want to focus on that. So circling all the way back, um, is it a problem to have just one large client? Yes. But uh, the way I'd like to kind of reframe that is to say, if you look at it right, it's not that it's a problem it's more that it's a beginner state that you need to advance past. Um, and if you don't, if you just stay in that state, it's kind of like, um, you know, is it a problem that you live at home with your parents? Uh, not when you're a kid. I mean, well, I, you know, I don't know. There might be reasons to do that all your life. I, I don't mean to judge, but like, I think a lot of people in, in the mentality of like going off on your own, is it a problem to live with your parents when you're a kid? No, uh, certainly not. Is it a problem as you get further and further into adulthood? Well, one might argue, yeah, there comes a time to kind of go off and launch. Uh, so same thing here. It, there could be a perfectly reasonable explanation. You have whale clients all your life. Maybe it just suits you well. But in most cases, that's a beginner state that you're going to have to kind of, you know, go out and, and fly and go on your own and not do things that way anymore. So hopefully that helps kind of frame why you're hearing that and um, what you might want to do to, uh, to address the situation. And uh, once again, have a happy new year, everybody. And I will uh, catch you next time.